guys, good morning, everyone. Good morning, Kelly Jo. Glad to see you all. Um, if you haven't noticed yet, we have a very special new member of New Heights Fellowship with us today. Woo! Zoe Lynn. Um, congratulations, Ocean RJ. God is good. Um, and uh, I before I start to finish, she said everything went good. Um, so that's great when you can say, "Hey, my baker was good." So <laughs> who says that? Okay, after. Oh, yeah, after, maybe not during. So uh, today we also have something very special happening. Um, post, well, it's not really post-service because it's a part of service. Um, Miss Ariana Stevenson is going to be baptized today. Yay! Yay. All right. Um, and I think those are all of the announcements I do have. So, Pastor Dan, do you have anything for... Um, pray for everyone. Oh, my gosh. I guess everyone. Right. Well, just real quick, I have here on Sherry's phone, and for those of you who have done this before, you know what it's like. I'm looking at a screen that says, uh, how would you like to pray for your neighbors? Pray for them from the map, go to the map now, or pray from this email, click when done. Here are the names of your neighbors to pray for today. And these are neighbors right around the church building. We're still working our way down Kelsey Avenue. And uh, so we're going to pray for them in a moment. So if you haven't signed up for this, you're just not on a great opportunity. Um, the church has the opportunity to see the names and addresses of their neighbors around them. You don't get any more information out of their names and addresses. And pray for them by name. And then you can make notes in there if, when you do learn more. And you can also click on there and mark them if you have shared the gospel with them, if you have cared for them, meaning you've done some act of kindness in their direction, or if you know that they are a Christian by profession. And so then we get that information like, as a church. So we've got like eight lights right now. I know this means a lot of other people that can sign up. So if you would sign up to be a light, I would greatly appreciate it. And then you can pray for your neighbors. You can do 40, 80, 100, 200, whatever neighbors around your house. And then they just send you five each time you agree to pray. So once a week, five times a week, seven times a week, whatever. They send you five names and you can pray for them. I encourage you to do that. Also, just on a side note real quick, I have a number of folks that have not received your questionnaires yet. If you would kindly do that, fill out whatever portion that you're willing, I would appreciate that. Brother Tony and I are going to be using that to do acts of love, and, and others might as well. If you team leader might have an opportunity to do an act of love towards you after that. Okay? So, we are going to pray for these names. Either I can do it or somebody else can do it. Can we do it? Sure. Alright. Okay, so we're going to pray together. Let's pray together. Father, it's a glorious day in the middle of what the world would call a pandemic. And as a nation and as a world, we've lost many, many lives. And many people have been sick and experienced the pain of COVID. And in the middle of that, your love endures. You've watched over us and provided for us with new birth, both physically and spiritually. And we're so appreciative for Rayleigh, and for Zoe and Lord, our families able to serve you and work on your behalf in this, this day and hour. And we've been called on maybe to do more than ever as we love our neighbors and love each other. And we, we definitely need to get better at it. We've missed a lot of opportunities. And so we confess our need for your strength, for your power to guide us, to direct us, and definitely to forgive us where we failed you. We are thankful that Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins and rose again to prove that we can live beyond them, that we can be born again, and one day come into heaven with you. And we know that many of those who lost their lives in the pandemic 
did just that. And we don't want to dwell on the sad thought that there were those who lost their lives who didn't. We want to praise you today. We want to show you that we are grateful. We lift up ourselves into your, your tender care. And others who could not be with us, others of our church, or people that are not able to overcome um, their circumstances and be here to worship. Lord, those who are sick, those who are in the hospitals all over the United States of America, down on their back. Like I pray specifically for Scott this morning, Nicole's husband. Did she come out to serve the Lord a couple days ago, even though her husband was in the hospital and her two teenage sons were quarantined. But she's already had COVID been over it, and she was out there to serve. And that's a great spirit, Lord, and we pray that we'll have the same. But we pray for Scott this morning. Lord, I would like to hear even this afternoon or tomorrow, he's released from the hospital, he's remarkably better, and we're trusting you for that. We pray for others earlier on, who are name by name, and you did amazing things in their lives. So we pray now, Lord, that you would, you would interact as you desire to. Your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth. We do praise you and thank you. For Ariana's decision to follow you as Lord and Savior. And she's already shown herself in her six short years as a faithful one. We pray for those that she's impacted and those who yet impact her, that your will might be done. Father, we pray for those in our neighborhood, specifically Eric Snyder of 1950 Kelsey, Lynn Nolte of 1948 Kelsey, Edward Bridgeland of 1948 Kelsey, Sandra and Douglas Knopf of 1944 Kelsey and Daisy Hartford in 1942, Kelsey. Father, we pray that you would reveal to our neighbors what you say when you say, I have loved you with an everlasting love before I have drawn you with loving kindness, as in Jeremiah 31, 3. And Lord, we know this to be true. You have loved us so far back and we didn't know it. And you loved us into the kingdom and you love us now. And we ask you to help us worship you somehow in the way that you deserve. I would pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And I'm pushing the button.
Have you been inspired somehow this week? You saw something happen? You read a Bible verse? Or you had a Bible study? Or you had a moment where God said, Hey, pay attention to that. A walking past the rundown vineyard moment, as it were, from Proverbs. Or a trials and tribulation moment from James chapter 1, where you overcame and you, you considered it pure joy that you might suffer. Uh, a we proclaim moment. You had the opportunity to talk to somebody about Jesus Christ and share something that God had done in your life that you had seen God do with your own eyes or heard Him do with your own ears? Have you had an inspirational moment that you'd like to share? Okay. Okay. First off, nobody knew I was doing this until about... I didn't even know I was going to do this until about 10 minutes ago. Okay, I want all the moms to stand up. Mom, stand up. Dads don't need to stand up. So... While I was in the room with my wife when she was in labor, I noticed something that was absolutely amazing to me. The fact of how God created life. And the fact that the women standing right now have the ability, that same ability to create life inside of them. And it blew my mind how much goes into doing that. And me personally as a guy, I don't there's no way I could do something like that. I so I just want to recognize the Maz and you guys I don't know how you guys do it. It's absolutely mind blowing to me how labor is and all that and there's no way I could do it. I don't think I'm physically strong enough to handle some of that stuff. But the fact that the women are capable of doing that I'm sorry, that makes me feel that women are way more superior than any guy ever. Amen? Because they have that ability, and God gave them that ability. So I just wanted to say thank you to all the moms for being part of it, and I admire everything that you guys do. Amen. Thank you, moms. Amen. Amen. Jason. This is, it's not really a Christian song, but I was listening to a song yesterday on my phone, and it's called The Other Side, and what came to my mind is that there's two sides, a good side and an evil side. You want, if you choose the evil side, you'll go down, you'll go down. If you choose the good side, you'll go up with, you go up. Does it it matters. You don't want to choose the evil side. You want to choose the better side, the good side, with God and Jesus. Exactly. You don't want to choose the evil side and go down the hill with Satan. You want to go up with God. Good. good stuff. Wow. That's your hand. All right. Um, so, it's good to the Lord tell me again. Um, I just know this month I'm sharing something and I'll stop sharing something. It's a when we all share scripture and something. But I just know i got to share something today. So, uh, I'm just uh, very thankful and go moms go. That's for sure. Uh, um, so, the other day I, I just felt like anybody's in the funk, it's going through some things. You just can't quit, you know. It, it, it's easy to quit. It's, it's harder to keep going. But the thing is about when you quit, I mean, you really ain't going to get nowhere. So you might as well keep going. And so the other day I had to make a step. I had to do something that the Lord told me I needed to do. He willed some things in my life. 
And so because of that, um, and, you know, someone's going to say, of course you could do that and know that. But I just felt like the Lord was leading my steps. But I've got this voice recorder app that I found, and I found another app, and I'm not saying I'm going to get all the technology, but I found some very effective ways to do the things I need to do. I found some wisdom how to actually um, work on my household and actually, you know, maybe I can't repair it, but through the Lord's mercy, there could be some repair, there could be some healing. And I just think when I made that step, that's how it started. And what I was thinking of is that when I think about your kids at the dinner table and you say, no dessert to eat your dinner first. And they always say that because the kids think it's like, you can't tell me what to do or why can't I eat this? I can eat my dinner still. You know, it, what the kids don't understand, what we're trying to say is, I want you to eat this first because this is what matters first. This is what takes care of you. This is what is going to help you. And then after you eat all that good food to support that, then you can have a dessert. And so when we're eating from the Lord's table first, I've been eating a lot of junk food all over, all the misery, all the bitterness. Anyone wants to say amen, say in your spirit. All the junk food I've been eating all for a while. It's made me sloppy, unclean, ineffective. Even when I share messages Sunday, I knew I was off a couple of times, but I'm not off right now. The thing is, because I've had to slide off that junk food and eat from the Lord's table and choose to eat from the Lord and trust that the Lord's food is good. And so because of that, um, that's where I'm at right now. Is I'm, I'm just keep on moving forward. So I'm very thankful for that. The other thing I want to say is something to think about. I would say encourage or re-encourage. If you already know, then the Lord's saying something else to you and He's saying something else to you. But I'm just asking myself, who are you? And I've been asking that a long time. I've been asking a lot of people and it's making them think. I'm like, who are you? You know, yes, I'm a dad, I'm a husband, but who are you? When I, when I come down to the simplest point, when I think of who I am, I just think I have the right relationship with Christ Jesus. That's who I am. I've been up, I've, I mess up. I fall apart. But in Christ, in due power, His righteousness, I can do all that He says I can do. I got my GPS on. Glorify God, to please God, and to serve God. I mean, that's all we were made to. As RJ said, that's what we were made for. You know, it still hasn't changed. It's really the funny thing is that we don't know what we're made for. But God knows exactly what we're made for. So let's go to God and let's let Him make us who we are. Amen. Amen. Anybody else? I had a, a moment this week, uh, preached from this scripture, thought about this scripture before, but just found myself looking at it. And there's a scripture that says, uh, a righteous man falls down seven times, gets up seven times. And basically, you know, we that, you guys say we make mistakes. Um, but then we just keep getting up and following after God, or as Jason said, being on the right side, or as Brother Tony said, Jason said, getting back to the basics sometimes, doing what we were created for, that kind of thing. And um, eating for the Lord's table, which is where we belong, and so on. But this is what struck me new about that scripture. There's a when and there's an if. There's a when and there's an if in that scripture. Righteous man falls down seven times, gets up seven times. I want you to think about it for a second. Which one's the when and which one's the if? Falling down or getting up? Which one's when you fall down? Is it when you fall down or if you fall down? When. Right? And if you get back up. Is it? No, it's the other Righteous man falls down seven times, gets up seven times. No, one. When, it's when you fall down. Or if you fall down, it's when you get back up. Right. We will get back up. That's what ends it. Because the seventh time you fall down and get back up, you know, fall down again, right? There is a moment at which we will stop falling down. And but that but I think what happened for me and I think a lot of Christians maybe we think 
about it like when I fall down, I will get back up. But actually, it's not that way. It's if I fall down again, I will get back up. Right? There is that. The word says, a righteous man falls down seven times, gets up seven times. If it said falls down seven times, gets up six times, then they kind of both be ifs. You know what I'm saying? Kind of like, well, you know, if I fall down again, then I'll, I'll probably get back up again. If you fall down again, you will get back up again. Now, that doesn't mean you should take a precarious road that leads you to temptation or walk a thin line or, or get really, really close to what you know will tempt you to do something stupid. You shouldn't do that because then you turn your if you fall down into a when you fall down, right? The closer you get to that which tries to get a grip on you, the easier it is for that thing to get a grip on you. Whether it's anything from addiction to depression to... Uh, to being distracted by TV or tempted by you know, whatever, it doesn't matter. Whatever it is that could get a grip on you, the closer you get to it, the more you turn that if into a when. You understand? And so I think we have to realize we really can walk this walk. We really can do it. But we have this great safety net. If we fall, we will get up again. At least those who are followers of the Lord. And that really blessed my heart because I have made the mistake many times. Think, well, I will probably make a mistake again. I will probably fall down again. I will probably sin again. I've had people who have come. Uh, well, you know, Jesus was in the street. There was a woman accused of adultery. And after they were all gone, she said, woman, where is all those who accuse you? And she said, well, no one accused me. And he said, well, neither do I accuse you. And then what did he say? Go and sin no more. Now, he told the adulterous woman, who only moments before, who had been on the verge of being stoned to death, he told her, go and sin no more. Now, my guess is she probably fell, and she probably sinned again, right? She probably did make mistakes. But, if every time she sinned, she got up again, that's what David did, isn't it? And what was he called in latter years? A man after God's own heart. We have to realize, if we make a mistake, we must get up again, and we will get up again if we are followers of the Lord. But we don't have to make a mistake. Don't keep telling yourself, well, I will sin again. But say, if I sin again, I will repent again. And if you major in the repentance rather than in the acceptance of sin, you will progressively get better at being a holy person rather than a sinner. really touched my heart because we've been doing that a lot. We think, when I fall down again, and it doesn't have to be that way, let us be free. He said, come follow me, and then you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Okay, so we're going to pray together at this time. Praise God. Not only do we have baptism, not only do we have new birth, but on top of that, we have God speaking to us throughout our days. I, I will say that um, I was not saved when my daughter Alicia was born, but I was profoundly affected. So I totally get what you're talking about. I, I, when you were speaking, the memories of those moments, that moment, um, powerfully, almost like flashback, came back to me. So I, I totally get it. And I, I really think God helped use that to bring me to salvation. And so, praise God. We're going to pray together, and then we're going to uh, go into tithes and offerings. And uh, if you're online, and I never do this, but I'm going to do it today because I had a request. If you're online and you need to give electronically, you can send, you can text, text the word GIVE, G-I-V-E, to our texting phone number, which I'll give you in a second. Uh, or you can go to our website, which is at churchtoledo.com. And give that way. And it's uh, the texting phone number is 419-419-0095. Also, if you're a member of New Heights and you don't have that phone number saved in your contact list, you probably should. There are some cool things you can do. You can get our keywords, service times, uh, give that way, some neat things that you can do. Uh, there's a Bible study on evangelism, a Bible study on giving thanks. 
And that seven-day Bible study, I'm giving thanks. If you text thanks, it'll start sending you after seven days, I'm giving thanks. So some neat things you can do through our texting phone number, which again is 419-409-0095. I don't mean to sound like a televangelist or a commercial, okay? But I had a request that we put that out there for people who are watching the Facebook because they need it. And they say they need it, so maybe they do. I think they do. All right, we're going to pray together. I'm going to ask Brother Tony Brister, our deacon, uh, to pray for us this time. And just, you know, we got to praise God and then transition into the next part of our service. Would you pray for us, Brother? Dear Father, Lord, do thank you for another day giving us another time we can come to meet together. Uh, thank you for the blessings over this past week. Yes, God. Thank you for uh, bringing mom and baby uh, through the ordeal safely. Yes, God. Thank you that they're here. Thank you for your... Uh, ability to uh, create new life and give it to us and help us, Lord, to understand that you have a purpose for these, purpose for us. Lord, we thank you that uh, even though we do fail, you're there to forgive us, to pick us up, to help lift us up back up and put us on the right path. So, Lord, we just ask you to be with us through the service, be with us as we. Uh, Give our tithes and offerings, thanking that we can give. Bless our gifts, and Lord, we give them to you. It's, everything is already yours. So we just ask you, Lord, to use it and help us to be good stewards of, of it, of giving. So, uh, this Lord is to do the service, be of the pastors, bring the message, and be of everything that has to do with this service. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you very much.
got like 90 seconds to prepare. Alrighty. No. I am going to get myself ready one second here. Let's give Ron a second to adjust to his script that I gave him with absolutely no notice. On purpose, even like. Contestant A and contestant B to come forward at this time. That would be you. Forgot to put his band-aid on. All right. Ron. Okay, A stands next to the uh, stool there and B can stand over here. Six feet apart. <laughs> All right. I am your host, Bob Killenmame, for the Totally Unfair Game Show Special Edition 2035. Are we doing good? Okay, we're doing good. All right. You're all playing. You must play. You're supposed to clap. You're the audience. Yay. Okay, you're supposed to do the thing. Sorry. There we go. There it is. Yeah, sorry. Okay, so you have to watch me quick because I'm just going to sling them at you. I, I didn't bring anything to throw. You want me to throw something? I have... Okay, I can throw something if he forgets, but I won't remember it. I won't know he forgets because I'm not looking at the screen. All right, so thank you for applauding. All right, here we go. The Totally Unfair Game Show. All right, I'm now going to explain the rules. You see before you are two contestants. I forgot to open to this page and then my prep time. <clears throat> Both of you have agreed to play the completely, totally unfair game show. You've signed, committed, submitted, and you are 100% in. Is that correct, contestant A? Is that correct, contestant B? There are some additional ways you can lose, and I'm going to inform you what they are now. If you try to run, you lose and will be ejected. If you turn away or refuse to participate, you lose and will be ejected. If you protest in any way, by rolling your eyes, by expelling an inordinate amount of breath, such as in a huff, you will be ejected. If you faint, pretend to faint, or ask for a delay because you are feeling ill in any way, you lose and will be ejected. These are the disclaimers that you have agreed to. Is that correct, contestant A? Is that correct, contestant B? Okay. If you engage in any activity deemed to be by our judges to be contrary to the spirit of the totally unfair game show, you will lose and be ejected. Do you both understand? <laughs> Very good. Thank you for the laughter in the audience. Now, having understood all the... Uh, sorry. That's the totally unfair game show. Okay. Now, having understood all the 
contract and disclaimers, and uh, as they have been thoroughly and completely explained to you on multiple occasions, are you prepared to begin? Very good. Okay. A special note. During this special edition of the Totally Unfair Game Show, a new penalty has been added to ejection, which will be revealed later. Ejection always meals means maiming or death here on the Totally Unfair Game Show. As I know you already understand, one of you will be maimed or die. Do you understand? Very good. And yet you have totally and completely committed, submitted, and are not backing out now. It should be noted that on last week's episode, John Charlotte tried to back out at this point, and the judges ruled against him, and he lost and was ejected. So they really can't say anything, having agreed already. These readings are strictly for protocol and required by the network. The game has actually already begun. Now, how is the game played? You have between you one last request, which begins in the control of player A. You must stand stoically facing one another. <clears throat> player A, who has been randomly determined, will have three cards placed in front of him. One, two, three. One, two, three. There are your three cards, player A. Player B will have one card when the game begins both players will attempt to read what's on the cards first. If player A manages to read all three cards <clears throat> before player B manages to read his one card then player A will win. If player B manages to read his one card before player A reads his three cards, then player B will win. The player who loses is ejected. Now in today's special edition of the Totally Unfair Game Show, a fiery burning lake into which the loser will be cast. The good news is you will not die or go unconscious. The bad news is you will be alert and burn for an eternity. Okay. Are you ready to play? Player A, are you ready to play? Player B, are you ready to play? All right. We're about to begin. Okay, player A has issued his last request. Player A, what is your last request? Yes, you can speak. I would like to trade places with player B. Oh, very well. We'll submit your last request to the judges. Judges? The judges say yes. This is an acceptable last request. The totally unfair game show will continue, the last request having been used. Please switch places at this time. <laughs> okay, very good. I'll take that, sir. There you go. 
As I said, we're continuing the game with the last request having been used. So, there are no other possible orders of business to be attended to at this time. So, on your mark, get set. And you may sit down. Thank you very much. Bear that thought in mind then as we go to the scripture today. Um, before we do that, I want to share with you that today begins a sermon series on circumcision. Uh, this, t- this sermon that we're going to hear today is, is Cutware Unfair. Um, that's the title of the sermon. And so if you understand a little bit about circumcision, you understand maybe already to a degree where we're going to go. Now, two weeks ago when I stood before you, uh, RJ preached last week, two weeks ago when I stood before you, I spoke to you out of uh, Genesis 12 and Genesis 17, the promises to Abraham. We talked about how we are the seed of that promise, and truly Christ is the one seed. It's not the seeds, but the one seed, Jesus, and in Jesus, uh, because of our faith, uh, we are found righteous by God. And then I mentioned that the passage that we were reading, we went through verse 8 and chapter 17, had a little bit more to it, and we would come back to it. And so that was where, that's what we're going to do today. So I'm going to ask you not to hoot or holler or get excited because that would be a lot for a man to get excited about a passage about circumcision unless it was in a negative way. And so we're just going to go there now and read from Genesis chapter 17 beginning in verse 9. Okay? If you're not there, I'll give you one second. Genesis 17 beginning reading in verse 9. We will have a couple of other passages before we through. So even though we finish reading this, don't put your Bibles away. We'll have at it. Okay, Genesis 17, 9 says, God said further to Abraham, this is right after he promised all the promises, God said further to Abraham, now as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants, after you throughout their generation. So everybody would keep the covenant. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin. It shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. And every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generations. A servant who is born in the house or who is bought with money from any foreigner who is not of your descendants. I just want to make a, just a kind of a side note there. If I'm a slave, the last thing I want to, as a grown man, if I'm a slave, the last thing I want to be is bought by a Jewish man. You know what I'm saying? 25 years old, bought as a slave and go in the house and now have to be circumcised. That's a pretty scary concept. But that's what it says. If born in the house or a foreigner who is, uh, uh, back up one second, 12, and every male among you who is eight years old shall be circumcised throughout your generations. A servant who is born in the house or who is bought with money from any foreigner who is not of your descendant. A servant who is born in your house or who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. Thus shall my covenant be in your flesh Uncircumc- I'm sorry, for an everlasting covenant. But an uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from my people. He has broken my covenant. So this is a very concerning demand by God, is it not? If the promises of Abraham, as we read about them and studied them a couple weeks back, apply to us and we are in the seed of Jesus and receiving these promises, then I will submit to you that somewhere must be our circumcision. Now, it is true that 
Many men are circumcised these days uh, early when they are first born. And it's, and it's really more for health than having anything to do. It's not a tradition. It's a health thing. Um, but it's not necessary. It's not required. Um, and so you probably are circumcised. But you can see already, based on the promises to Abraham and the promises to us, that something more is required then. If almost all men are circumcised, people don't even know Jesus are circumcised, then when you come to know Jesus, it taught, basically we're getting an understanding that, I would say, Jesus is looking for a circumcision. So if you're following along in your Bibles then, flip to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. This is the first of our two texts for today. First of our three texts for today. Uh, who knows how many texts for today we'll have. It's the first one. 1 Corinthians 7, 18. Now, I will, by the way, I will mention, you know, just as I said, everybody's kind of looking for the circumcision. I want you to notice that Paul writes about the circumcision in the book of Romans, in the book of Philippians, in the book of Colossians, in the book of Corinthians, 1 and 2 Corinthians. And so it was very much a concern to the New Testament church all the churches in Colossae, all the churches in Philippi, all the churches in Rome, all the churches in Corinth, all these people were very concerned about this topic of circumcision. All right? In the book of Acts, we read about how they basically were saying, if you become a Christian, you've got to be circumcised. It was all over the New Testament church, and it should be a very significant concern to us as well to understand the circumcision that we are called to, if I can say it that way. 1 Corinthians 7. Verse 18 says, Was any man called already circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Has anyone been called in in uncircumcision? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. But what matters is keeping of the commandments of God. And so if you took this one text out of context, if you will. What Paul's saying is, it doesn't matter if you're circumcised or not. Forget that. You're getting all wrapped up in something that's a sort of a legal point of the law, of being a Jew. And yes, I understand that Jews should, by all rights, become Christians because their Messiah came. But the bottom line is, don't get wrapped up in that. It's really about what you do, who you choose to be after having heard the truth. Paul will even go on to say the same truths about slaves. If you were a slave when you are saved, don't try to be free. If you can be free, great, but don't try to be free. If you're a freed man when you're free, don't become a slave, right? If you're married when you were saved, don't become unmarried. And if you were unmarried when you're saved, don't try to become married, right? He says all of those things. He's like, if you, when you're saved, these choices that people make about being circumcised, uncircumcised, slaved or free, married or not, all of those choices are not relevant to the real circumcision, the real tribute, if you will, that, that God is asking for. Let me just read verse 20 again. Let each man remain in that condition in which he was called. And then, it, circumcision or uncircumcision is nothing but it is whether you keep the commandments. So now, based on this one verse, our circumcision is in our faithfulness. right? It is, do you do what you know to do? What God has taught you? What you learned from the Word? Are you following the teaching? So, in other words, 
If you become saved, just taking this verse out of context for a minute here, if, you, if you'll go with me. I'm not preaching this live, so don't go cutting this seven seconds out and then using it all over the internet and saying I'm a blasphemer. All right? But just taking this out of context for one minute, you could say then, if you have ever borne false witness after becoming saved, that you do not have the circumcision and you are not saved. And someone might say that because it, just this verse basically says you must follow God's commandments. That is your circumcision, if you will. That that replaces circumcision for us. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but whether or not you follow the commands of God. But this is not the only place that Paul explored this topic. And so to take it out of context like that and misuse it would be wrong. The more complete place, if you will, where Paul is pretty thorough on the topic, it's not the only place that he talks about it, and we're going to talk about it in some of the other places that he talks about it over the upcoming weeks, but the more complete place for our purposes today is found in Romans chapter 2. And so if you would turn to Romans chapter 2 if you're following along, or click to it if you're following in your electronic device. Romans chapter 2. We'll begin... And verse 17. Now there is more to the passage that we're about to read than just about circumcision, but I begin at verse 17 for an important reason, and you're going to see it. Okay? Verse 17. But if you bear the name Jew and, re- and rely upon the law and boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are essential, being instructed of the law, and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind and a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having the law, the embodiment of knowledge and of the truth. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? Now, that was all one sentence, really an interrogative, right? Ending in a question. So, if all of these things were true, if you were a Jew, understanding the things of Scripture, having been taught out of the things of Scripture, confident that you are following the Scripture, you have become a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness. Understand that darkness to represent ignorant to those who don't know. That You've become a light to those who don't know. You've been a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of the truth. In other words, you have complete access to the Bible, which for them would have been the Old Testament, but having complete access to the Bible and, uh, and the knowledge of it. He then says, You therefore who teach another as you are teaching someone else, do you not teach yourself? Don't you learn as you help others grow? You who preach that one should not steal, do you steal? You who say that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor, which means hate, idols, other things that people worship other than God, could be false gods, it could be demons, evil spirits, it could be activities that we get involved with, it could be anything in your favorite pastime becomes an idol to you. You who abhor idols, you hate idols, do you rob temples? Meaning, do you take from the temple of idols? Do you benefit by those very things that you say you would never worship? You who boast in the law, through your breaking the law, do you dishonor God? So you know the Bible, but as you know the Bible, do you not follow the commands of the Bible? As you know the Bible and have come to be a teacher of the Word of God to others who need to know that, have you broken those very same commands? Now, I I want to submit to you that so far we really haven't encountered a non-rhetorical question here. I think that he was asking them, they were supposed to actually answer, 
And I think they were probably going to realize, if, especially if they were not Christians, but then even as a Christian, they were probably going to realize that they actually had broken those laws, those same laws that they were teaching. They were supposed to realize that they had broken them. We're in verse 24 now. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles. Remember this part because it's a quote from Ezekiel, and we'll actually look at it before we're through, most likely. For the Gentiles, because of you. The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written. For indeed, circumcision is of value. Now, see the transition? He went right into the topic of circumcision. So now we're talking about Jewish people following the law. Well, if they're following the law and they're a Jewish person, are they circumcised? Well, yes, they would be circumcised. If they were a proselyte to Judaism, they would be circumcised. Right? So any Jew who would consider themselves a devout Jew would be circumcised according to the covenant made with Abraham whereback they can trace their foundations. Right? Verse 25. For indeed, circumcision is of value if you practice the law. Well, duh, it's in the law. You have to do it. If you're going to do the law, you have to be circumcised. That's what he's saying. But if you are a transgressor of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. In other words, if you're following the law completely, great. Circumcised, you must be. But if you've been circumcised because you're supposedly following the law, but you're actually breaking the law, then your circumcision is worthless as one aspect of how you said, I will follow the law. You made a covenant with God, I will follow the law. Very early, perhaps, in life, or when you became a Jew, or a proselyte to Judaism, right? And in reality... Your circumcision has become uncircumcision because you're not actually following the rest of the law. Even though you've become teachers, you're not actually following it. So he says the circumcision, in that case, becomes uncircumcision. Verse 26. If, therefore, the uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? So now we're back to that whole thing about the commandments again, right? So if we have somebody who has never been circumcised, they didn't make that covenant with God, that physical flesh covenant with God, Yet they follow the law, he says, their uncircumcision will actually be regarded as circumcision. Verse 27. And will not he who is physically uncircumcised, if he keeps the law, will, not, will he not judge you who, though having the letter of the law and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law? In other words, if there was somebody who had not been circumcised, and there was somebody who had been circumcised, and that somebody who has not been circumcised is keeping the law, following the rules of God, the commands of God, would they not easily be able to look at the person who's been circumcised but is not following the laws and the commands of God and say, hey, that's a person who breaks the commands and is not following the law of God, despite their circumcision. So even if they're waving their private parts around, they can still see very clearly that this person is an abuser, is not actually following the law, right? And that's what he's saying. Verse 28, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, neither is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. In other words, circumcision is something so much more than just having some part of your body snipped. So he's saying, you don't become a Jew because you got circumcised any more than you become not a Jew if you've never been circumcised. That's what he's saying. Circumcision is not that which... I'm going to go back up and read it one more time. They're good from the beginning of the verse. He said, 
For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, neither is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. 29. And we're almost done with the reading. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the Spirit, capital S, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men. Little h there, by the way. His praise is not from men, but from God. So there's a whole bunch packed into here. And over the next several weeks, month, month and a half, we will do a sermon series and look at the various aspects of circumcision and what we need to know about them. But today, we need to know, frankly, the first foremost question, do we have it? This circumcision that God is talking about, do we have it? The first thing I want you to see out of the text that really touched my heart is notice that there is a stewardship given here. That God has placed in the hands of certain people, He has entrusted them with something very important and significant for the salvation of all men. With the Jewish people, it was the Word of God. Now before you go saying that the Jewish people botched their job, (laughs) that they weren't good keepers of the law, the scriptures, the history books, Proverbs, Psalms, all of it, They enacted certain practices to maintain the physical perfection of the Word of God to the point that they could literally count every letter and every part of a letter and everything that was a little drip of ink from the beginning of a book of Scripture to the end. They could count to the middle and check the exact jot or tittle to guarantee that that Scripture, that book, was perfect. And any replication of any bit of the Word that was not absolutely perfect was buried in a clay pot and put away forever. They couldn't burn it because it was the Word of God. Even though it was flawed, they couldn't throw it in a dumpster somewhere, but they would literally bury it away forever and be done with it because it wasn't perfect. They were entrusted with the Word of God and they took that entrusting very, very seriously. Now there were issues. There were issues because... The very same people who were entrusted with the Word of God did not act out oftentimes what was written in the Word of God that they were entrusted with. When they were moved into the promised land, they were told that they would be representatives of God to draw all men unto God in proper relationship. That's essentially what it was all about. They were supposed to be God's witness. And God gave them rules. And we understand that they had those rules because... They had a mind or a heart, a personality, a flesh, if you will, to break rules. That's what they were. They were human beings. They had a flesh nature. And so they were given the rules to best represent God as a nation in order that when other nations looked to them, they would possibly be able to come to God through Israel's example. But it didn't go well. Now flip, if you're following along, to Ezekiel 36. Assuming I can flip there, because I didn't mark it. There it is. Ezekiel 36. We're going to begin reading in verse 16. No heavy explanation needed here, I don't think. Ezekiel 36, beginning in 16, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, 
prophet says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, when the house of Israel was living in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and their deeds. Their way before me was like the uncleanness of a woman in her impurity. Therefore I poured out my wrath on them for the blood which they had shed on the land, because they had defiled it with their idols. Verse 19. Also I scattered them among the nations, and they were dispersed throughout the lands. According to their ways and their deeds, I judged them. When they came to the nations where they went, they profaned my holy name, because it was said of them, these are the people of the Lord, yet they have come out of His land. In other words, they, they weren't able to receive the promises of God. These are the people of the Lord, but they don't follow God. They're not with God. They're not protected by God. They're not provided for by God. These are the people of the Lord, but they're not God's people. And verse 21 says, But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations where they went. Therefore say to the house of Israel, verse 22, Thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations. See, God was going to do something. So I'm going to do something that is going to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt the holiness of my name, despite what you've done, despite how you failed me, despite how you failed using that which I entrusted you with to become my people. He says, back to the beginning of 23, he says, And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. For I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a spirit. Spirit, I'm sorry, a heart of flesh. Listen to 27. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. You see, God was going to fix it. We talk about fixing it. God was going to fix it once and for all. He gave them the ability to appeal to Him. He gave them the ability to learn from Him. He gave them the ability to walk in a relationship with Him. God bestowed His Holy Spirit time and again on prophets and kings and leaders and ordinary men who stepped up to speak for God. Time and again, God proved Himself faithful to the nation of Israel. And as those who were entrusted with God's relationship... Through His Word, yes, but as they were entrusted with God's relationship, which was meant for all people, they failed to become exemplary. This stewardship was given to them, and they dropped the ball. But God said that He would do something at a certain moment in time, deliver into mankind His Holy Spirit. That He would do something at a certain point in time, which would prove that the name of God is holy and that sin will not go unjudged. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He paid for the sin of people who were not willing to be holy. And let's not kid ourselves. We were not willing to be holy. 
And I would even say on far too many days, we are still not willing to be holy. But God has called out a people for Himself. The called out assembly of these people referenced in the New Testament is the ecclesia. The called out assembly of these people is the church as that word is translated into English. God has stewards for the teachings and the commands and His word and they drop the ball and out of those who drop the ball He called a new set of stewards and He also called stewards out of those who had not yet even seen the ball. He called them from Jew and Gentile alike into the kingdom of God to have right relationship with God. New stewards of His teachings, of His relationship. That's what we are in Christ. And I'll even go so far as to say it this way. Step one, if you have become a new steward of the relationship, an ambassador, a bringer together of humankind with God, then you have the circumcision. Notice that also in, the, in our text that we read in Romans, he said that... I'm sorry, it's actually in 1 Corinthians. He said that those who were... No, it was in Romans. I said it right the first time. Anyway, he said that those who were walking in the faith, those who were following the commands, that they would be able to judge those who were not. They would be able to know when someone was not. Even if you're circumcised. Now let me be perfectly clear what this actually means to us. That as believers, knowing what God expects from us, you might be able to look at another believer who is professing faith in Christ, ordained a pastor, ordained a deacon, serving, teaching, giving, sharing. They might be there every time the doors are opened. But when they step into an adulterous affair, when they get wrapped up in lustful behavior, when they become more about what the world offers, money, prosperity, certain programs, entertainments, whatever, when they become more about those things than they are about living in relationship with the God of the universe, then you and I both can judge that. Now, it does not mean you can judge their salvation. Because as we saw, this circumcision, this act of God, is an act of God inwardly, not outwardly. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 7, judge not lest you be judged. Because you too, on occasion, have sinned after receiving salvation, if indeed you have received salvation. And no one can say to you, if you have been saved, that you have not been saved. The relationship is literally between you and God. However, that does not stop me, does not stop your neighbor, does not stop the people that live on your street, does not stop the people that go to your church from knowing that the activities that you are engaged in are not in line with the commands of God. Wait for it. Because if you take it one step further, if salvation has in it this circumcision, then you could realistically say that those who do not have salvation and therefore do not have this circumcision being called the uncircumcised by God not uncircumcised in the flesh, but uncircumcised in Christ, they being uncircumcised, they also can see that the believers who claim the name of Christ are not walking in 
faith. They're not following the very same commands that they say that we should follow. I'll take it into the public arena for a moment. You know that there is a huge conflict in our nation between those who believe that a woman should be allowed to have an abortion and those who believe that a woman should not be allowed to have an abortion. And then there is a sort of a meeting place in the middle that believes that a woman should not be allowed to have an abortion except under certain circumstances. And way more than 50% of Americans, by surveys, say that a woman should be allowed to have abortions under certain circumstances. Even some of those who say a woman should never be allowed to have an abortion when asked whether they should be allowed to have an abortion under certain circumstances, they will say, yeah, I guess under those circumstances it must be okay. So there's this huge raging debate, and I'm not speaking for or against abortion today. But there are those who say, as they speak completely against abortion, that abortion is murder. In fact, most people who call themselves pro-life say that a baby is alive in the womb and that to kill a baby that is in the womb is murder. And then you and I both know that many of those same people get very angry at the people on the other side of the issue. People who say a woman should never be able to end her abortion or or end her pregnancy by abortion because that's murder get very angry at the people who are on this side of the issue saying, no, there are certain cases or on this side of the issue saying, no, she should have a choice no matter what. They get very angry. Now, there are Christians on both sides of this issue, or let me be clear, professing Christians on both sides of this issue because I'm not judging anybody's salvation. But there are professing Christians on both sides of this issue. And so if you have somebody over here, you judge for yourself. You have somebody over here who's on the pro-life side of this issue who believes that it is murder to have an abortion. And they are angry with the people who are over here who profess the name of Jesus, who say that it is not okay to have an abortion. Now you tell me what Jesus said about a man who has anger in his heart against his brother. What's that called? It's called murder. Jesus called it murder. I'm not calling it murder. Jesus called it murder. So now you have a a brother, professing brother over here, who is pro-life by his own admission, but hates those who are not. They're angry at those who are not. Now, I can see that that person who is pro-life is not living according to the commands of God. Even though they are trying to force somebody else in their own estimation to live according to the commands of God. Any fool can look at somebody and go, okay, here's the speed limit 65 mile an hour. I got a gun. Oh, 72. That person is speeding based on my evidence. You can look at somebody who lied to you and say, that person is lying. I know they're lying now. I know they have lied to me now. I know at least in that moment in time, they were actively a liar. You can't judge them as a liar because if they're saved, they're not a liar, right? But they were involved in sin that was not appropriate for a Christian for a follower of the law, for a person who understands the holiness of God. We can judge this. Which means, if the first criteria has happened, if you have accepted the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ and become a steward of the gospel, a minister of reconciliation... 
Whether or not you are perfect, which I think we can probably all agree we're not going to be perfect on this side of heaven. We're working our way in that direction as the Bible says perfect meaning completeness, but we're not going to be perfect on this side of heaven. But whether or not you think you are perfect, you can judge the actions of others and should judge the actions of your own, yourself. Which means once you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there should be a change in you. You should not want some of the same things you used to want. Now, you're going to have the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, as long as you're in human form. I get that. And so you're going to have things that you want that are not good for you, good for your faith, good for God, not what God would want for you. You're going to want things you shouldn't want. But the fact is, at the moment you got saved, remember Ezekiel, at the moment you got saved, you got put in, your, in you a heart of flesh. Where you previously had a heart of stone. So your desires should have changed. Now you may still sin, and when you sin, if you do, you will do what you shouldn't do. And Paul says, not I, but sin in me. The real you, if you have become a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, now belongs to Jesus, to God. And you can judge your own actions. You must be a better man or a better woman for your experience with God. And if you have not been a better man, if you are not now a better man than you were before you received the gospel, if there is not in your own estimation a discernible change in you from who you were before you encountered Jesus to who you are now, then if I were you, I would have doubts about my salvation. I'm not one to make a true believer doubt, but the Word itself tells us that you should have changed at the moment of impact by God on you. And progressively from that moment on. And I can see when you're not walking in the faith, and your spouse can see, and your kids can see, and your teachers, and your doctors, and your dentists, if if anyone is with you for more than a few moments... They can see if you're not walking out what you believe. Take the final command of Jesus. The Great Commission, as some people like to call it. The command to go ye therefore and make disciples. If you are with someone for an hour in a substantive conversation... And you have not brought up the name of Jesus. I don't care if it's about your favorite football team. I don't care if it's about how to fix a car. I don't care if it's about money management. I don't care if it's about economics. If you are free to speak your mind in this conversation and you have been talking with somebody for an hour and you have not mentioned the fact that the way a person gets saved and goes to heaven when they die, lives with Jesus now, has a more abundant life, The way a person knows the voice of God is to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, to repent of their sins and call out to Jesus to be saved. If you have not brought that up in a substantive conversation where you are free to speak your mind after an hour, then the person in that conversation, once they learn that you are a Christian, probably won't from you apparently, but when they do finally learn that you are a Christian, they will know that you are not a Christian by Jesus' standards. They know. They will bend their knee 
They will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior on the day of the judgment. And whether or not, whether, whether or not they have accepted Him will determine whether or not they go in. But don't kid yourself. In that moment when they bend their knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, if they are not going in, if they will then be ushered into an eternity away from God, they will know that you sat there that day with them for an hour and talked about substantive matters of any kind while professing to be a Christian and did not clarify how a person gets past the moment of judgment and into an eternity that they would prefer. What do you think the major transgression of the Jewish people was as they went out into other countries, as they moved to Corinth, as they moved to Galatia, as they moved to Philippi, as they were spread out in what they call the diaspora and the nations all around the sea. What do you think their major transgression against God was? What was it that God was looking for from them? He was looking for them to usher people to Him. They were stewards of the truth that brings people into right relationship with God. And they didn't steward it into the ears and the eyes of everyone around them. And therefore, they were accused by God. And let's be clear, God doesn't accuse unless He's right. He doesn't accuse like Satan. He doesn't accuse to make people feel guilty or whatever. But by God, He said that they had profaned His holy name. Hence Jesus. Hence the opportunity for you and I to be stewards like they should have been. We can judge this. We can do it. I want to look at one thing real quick and I may read it to you. We are nearing the conclusion. interest of time. If you, want the, if you want that reference later, we can do it. Two points so far. Number one, their stewardship was given to a people who were entrusted with how a person comes in right relationship with God. Number two, we can judge whether or not a person is walking by the commands of Christ. We can judge whether or not a person is walking by the commands of the Bible Old Testament. And we are expected to do so, at least in our own case, and to adjust our course and should have been changed. Number three, if this happens at salvation, if it happens at the moment of cleansing, if it happens at the moment at which you are no longer lost, walking in death, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, if it happens then, then it is very simple to know whether it has happened or not. I know there should be evidences. I know there should be a change in us. But it is very simple to know whether it has happened or not because it is not by virtue of something you have done. You may have stood up and you may have prayed and said, Okay, Father, I'm sorry. I am a sinner. Uh, I want to live for you the rest of my days. Please, please come in, forgive my sins. And thank you, Lord, for forgiving my sins. You may have prayed a prayer. And everyone listening to the prayer would have every reason to believe that you have made a decision and you have personally accepted Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, and nothing, no prayer you have ever prayed, no certain circumstance or ceremony you've ever gone through, no baptism you've ever experienced, no walking forward that you've ever done, no shaking the minister's hand that you've ever done, no getting down on your knees in the mud to beg God to save you that you've ever done, none of that ever saved you. 
None of that ever cleansed you. None of that ever made you right with God. It's not going to do it. Because salvation is of the Lord. God either did it or He didn't. The Bible says, call upon the name of the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. It says, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that He is Lord and, that God, and Savior and that God raised Him from the dead. You have to know who Jesus is and commit your life to Him. And if you did that, then you have removed all barriers from God doing what He promised to do. And does God do what He promises to do? So the bottom line is, if you are walking in a way that does not line up with a decision that you made to accept Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, in your own estimation, then one of two things is true. You are willfully living your life, not submitting it to the Lord Jesus Christ. Or, when you said you made a decision to follow Jesus, you actually didn't make a decision to follow Jesus. You just said that so that people would think that you did, or so that you would think that you did. Don't deceive yourselves. Don't deceive others. But make a genuine decision to allow God to do that which God wants you to do. That which God wants to do in you. He loved you so much that He literally sent His own Son to die on the cross that whoever believed in Him would not have an eternal life in hell, but rather an eternal life with God. All you have to do is be willing to accept the gift that is being extended towards you. And if you have removed what barriers you can control... That is to say, if you have called out to God, if you have believed and attempted to be willing to receive, then you are there. And God will do what God promised to do. I love the way Paul explained it to the Galatians. And as we go into our conclusions, we're going to go there and read one verse. It's Galatians 5, verse 6. Galatians 5. Verse 6. This is the way he explained it there. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. Do you believe in the God of the universe? Do you believe in the God that created everyone? started the whole thing off, cast the stars into sky and made light in the absence of light. Do you believe in God? Okay, well, so you believe in God. So do the demons and they tremble. Well, do you believe in God's Son? Do you believe that He sent His only Son to live a sinless life, born of a virgin? Yes, a sinless life on the earth in 34 33, 4, or 5 years later, because I don't write the calendar dates down, right? It's 33, 34, or 35 years later, he died on a cross to pay for the sins of mankind so that God's holy name could be proved as holy because somebody has to pay for it. Do you believe that Jesus did that for you? If you will believe that Jesus did that for you and you will confess it with your mouth, recognizing that God raised him from the dead then you have become what everyone wants to call in some not-so-polite ways a Christian, a little Christ, a follower of Jesus. And in that moment, from that moment on, and progressively from that moment until you die, you should be reaching new heights in Jesus. 
You've got to turn it off, walk away from everything else, make sure nothing else is that important to you, and spend time with God. He's going to be with you while you're watching your program. That has nothing to do with him. He's going to be with you in that conversation that lasted, that substantive conversation that lasted for an hour but never came to be about him. He's right there with you if indeed you're saved. And his spirit yearns for nothing more than to see his stewards of the relationship actually professing the relationship. Notice the phraseology there. There are three little pieces in it. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but faith and love. You know those things, right? Faith is where you believe and love is where God loved you so much He sent His only begotten Son and you really should love Him back when He loves you that much. But we mustn't leave out the working. We mustn't leave out the working. Oh no. We mustn't leave out the working. Because faith without works is dead. The first and foremost works being the work of our Father in heaven. And then every work you do after that is in Him. It's unfair. It's unfair. Because if you believe and receive as an axe murderer, if you are a rapist or an adulterer, if you are the worst of the worst of the worst in somebody's eyes, if you have broken every one of the Ten Commandments, and yet come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet submit your life to Him, then all of that can be forgiven for you, from you, taken from you, as it is all placed upon the cross and on that day on Calvary, and you can be saved. And at the same time, you might be the nicest guy in the world. You've been through some tough stuff, but you've basically been good to everybody around you all the time. You're pretty nice. You're making sure things are right. You try not to lie. You try not to steal. You try not to be angry at people. You try not to be belligerent. You're basically a good guy. And that basically good guy goes to hell while the axe murderer, former axe murderer, because he just got a new job as a worshiper in spirit and truth, but that former axe murderer goes to heaven. Jeffrey Dahmer, who made a career out of literally eating various parts of people, professed Christ while he was on death row. If he was in earnest and opened the road, did God save him? If he removed the barriers that stop God from doing what God wants to do, did God save him? Absolutely! And so you can be the nicest blue-collar worker, the nicest hard worker, giver. You can give more money in the offering plate than anybody else. And if you have not allowed yourself, if you have not believed and received the promises of God, then you are going to hell. And in going to hell, you will get there and Jeffrey Dahmer will be strangely absent. It's unfair! I get it. The Jewish scribes who kept the law and day in and day out and ate only very lightly and never near what they were writing spent expensive monies on ink and papers and wrote down detailed perfect and made sure and you can just can't you just see that guy at, at, at midnight and he's hunched over and he's writing it so perfectly and just a little drop falls off the pen that he wasn't expecting and makes the character a little bit bigger than he thought after he's already got weeks of efforts on this particular manuscript and he's almost to the end of the book of Isaiah and you know how long that is, right? And you get there, to, it, just a little bit of extra ink falls off and he freezes. And he says, I just ruined this copy of the book of Isaiah and his 
weeks of effort and he takes the pen and he sets it in the pot, scoops up the scroll, and he walks over to the waiting jar. And he puts it there and he melts the wax, and he puts a lid on, and he goes back to his table and he takes a blank scroll. He's very careful to gently stroke the nib of the pen to make sure that the first character isn't screwed up. These people were entrusted, entrusted with more than just the Word of God. They were entrusted with people's ability to come to God through the Word of God. I have great sympathy for that man who labored day in and day out for weeks on end and is now burning in hell because he did not believe the things that were written in that which he wrote. And it could have been me. It's unfair. It's unfair. Except, except that it's only unfair in that if you're willing, if you're just willing, He will make you new. It's only unfair if you die or become so stubborn as to be beyond redemption, unwilling to ever listen, before you hear and accept. You have to know somebody who doesn't want to know. You have to know somebody who's not asking questions about Jesus, who's not walking in the Lord, or they've professed, but they, their life clearly doesn't line up with the commands. And you kind of have wonder. I mean, you're not judging them, but you're kind of wondering about whether they're saved. You have to know somebody who's literally on the road to hell. How many times? How many times are you going to entreat them? How many times are you going to go after them? How much are you going to pray for them? What if you had to go a day without meals and get down on your knees and fasting and prayer and beg God to make a way to bring some brave soul into their life to tell them the truth. Wouldn't you do that? This salvation that we're talking about, this complete transformation that begins with a heart of flesh and the Holy Spirit that is the circumcision that is required, this salvation, freely given, freely received, and then not freely given. That doesn't make any sense. If you have freely received... And go ye therefore and freely share, having become stewards. But if you have not become a steward, then you should have questions about your salvation. And if you become a steward, or in your own estimation you have, but you're walking in sinful behavior, things that you know do not honor God, then you should have questions about your salvation, or just change it. You have an advocate before God who is Jesus Christ. So when you discover sin in yourself, repent of that sin, confess it to the Lord, and He is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Major in the repenting, not in the falling down. And maybe you want to fall down. And if you want to fall down over and over and over again so much that you don't want to repent and turn to God, maybe it's not all that unfair after all. Maybe it's fair that people who really don't want anything to do with God aren't forced to have anything to do with God. That seems fair. Let me pray for you and then we'll go to a final song and a time of invitation. Father in heaven, as we begin now...
to look at what your word teaches us about this circumcision. We see here that faith working through love is what's most important. We want to believe. If there is someone here who knows that they are teetering on the edge, then I, I ask you, Lord, to just pray like that Father prayed. To help them pray like that Father prayed. To say, I believe. And help me in my unbelief. There are those here would look at the way they live their lives and they know that they're doing things that they should not be doing or they're failing to do what they should be doing. And they can put their finger on it. They can name it for what it is. And I ask you, Lord, right now to help them repent and turn to you again for that cleansing. You know that the price has already been paid for. I believe with all my heart, God, that there is literally no sin that a man would unknowingly commit or knowingly commit before having come to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They cannot be forgiven. They have not been paid for. That after getting saved, our sins are still all paid for. The next thing we do wrong is paid for. Things we do wrong right before we die are paid for. Things we would never think that we would ever do that we find ourselves stumbling into and doing in foolish ways. Pay for it. And just as much as that seems unfair for those who are unwilling to accept that arrangement, we realize that that arrangement is literally available for everyone. There might be somebody in this room who's had years or decades of pretending to be following you to know to know that their heart is still stone to know that they they aren't working in love and they can see it even if they're not sick they can see it there might be somebody in this room who is a follower of Jesus Christ and they know it and yet they know what they're not doing God help us Help me, Lord, me personally, fall in love all over again, as has happened a few times before. Fall in love all over again with your word, with the work that you have set out for us to do, and with the people that you have given us to reach. In the midst of a pandemic, we're blessed with new life and salvation and people truly turning to you growing and being encouraged not by men but by God and we need that we need it every day I ask you Lord if there's somebody here today who needs to clear the way and accept your promised salvation for the first time ever that they would make that decision public in a moment if there's somebody here today or online who knows that they're saved, but they also know that they have an issue, that they would also make that public. They would come for prayer, that they would make it public right where they stand, online where they're watching, so that they can live for you without those barriers. Help us, God. Move in your spirit now in this place. Break down our barriers. Overcome our distractions. 
tear down the strongholds. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have a song of invitation at this time. If you're here today and you've made some kind of a decision during our service today or even before you came today, this is your opportunity to make it public in front of the brothers and sisters in Christ and we can pray for you. And so um, as we sing this song, you come or if you're online with us and you uh, post a little post, a decision that you've made, and I'll ask everybody who's comfortable and able to do so to stand where you are and we'll sing this song in honor to our God.
Um, we are very grateful. So about five minute break, and then we'll come back together for that. And as I know, as as I know it right now, she is the only one today who's being baptized. But you know, we always give an opportunity on this freezing cold February day to get wet and then to leave wet. And uh, hopefully, our has already got a teeny bit of a cold, so it won't make it worse. I'm going to ask uh, Brother Tim Mitchell, would you pray for us as we go uh, in this transition? Lord and Father, 